Back to my white hot rage. Back to the white hot rage. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who once accused the state of Maryland of getting too big for its britches, my brother Mike. Yeah, I got my eyes on the state of Delaware, too, so... Don't don't think you're going somewhere, Delaware. One president right. comes from your state, and all of a sudden you're, you're all sneaking past you're, this guy. <laughs> you're some sort of special place on earth. I don't know. It's, 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 it's no. Delaware, everybody. Mm. Just just take a breath, okay? <laughs> on this week's episode, we'll discuss a maddening week from the Royals as they sort of looked good at times, looked bad at times. Very classic Royals kind of things. Uh, we're going to sit down with Royals Farm Reports' Alex Duvall and discuss the MLB draft, which is coming up here soon. And we're going to preview this week's games. But first, we must remind you of a few things, many things, actually. Number one thing is go subscribe to our new YouTube channel. Subscribe to that YouTube. Subscribe. Smash that subscribe button, as the kids say. Um, We're putting out new content all the time. We have a video up on the expectations for Vinny Vinny Pasquantino. I'm producing a video right now on the next stage of progression for Bobby Witt Jr. I think that video is going to be bonkers good. And so hopefully you get a chance to see all of our exclusive content. Plus you can watch this podcast on YouTube if you want to. So you can see our beautiful faces as opposed to just hearing our beautiful voices. And that's really going to be key. I think see our beautiful Um, mustaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one of us has got one. You're lagging miles behind right now. I haven't shaved in a couple of days and this is all I got. (laughs) Whatever's going on on that face is not, is not getting into the frigging Tom Selleck hall of fame. Like I am. So, um, the second thing we got to remind you of, we have started an Instagram account. Follow that account. We're putting out video clips. We're putting out different um, photos and, da- and analysis things. It was very interesting stuff we can do with Instagram. So I'm still learning how to use it. I'm like 170 years old. I don't know how to use Instagram real well yet. I think the well kids yet. call it the gram. I, Insta. Insta or the gram. I don't know. I'm, I'm an old man. My partner, though, man. she is much younger than me, and she's kind of showing me how to use it. And so um, she's, she, we're going to set some time aside and she's going to, you know, put in my false teeth and then help me use Instagram. Uh, so, so follow that account. A lot of cool stuff happening on there. YouTube, Instagram, subscribe and follow. Those are huge for us. The third thing I want to remind you about the Royal Royals farm report just put out a draft guide. And we're going to talk a little bit about this with Alex Duvall, the editor in chief of Royals farm report. We interviewed him earlier this week, but go out there and buy that Royals farm report draft guide at royalsfarmreport.com. You can buy it there. It's fantastic. It is chock full of draft information, draft insight, scouting reports, mock draft. And then Alex, let me put my personal wish list in there as well. So you get to read a page of my personal wish list of who the Royals take with their first three picks. So get out there. It took it was a team effort, something like eight to ten different people coming together to write all these reports, to watch a ton of video on guys. We we poured our sort of blood, sweat, and tears into this draft guide. So it's only four bucks. Four bucks for a t- hundred and seventeen pages of gold. Mike, you've looked at it. Tell us what it's like. I have, and the great thing about it for me, especially a person who I, I don't follow um, college baseball all that much, or obviously prep baseball really at all, but. At this time of year, I'm looking at first draft content and it's like, it's really hard to find it all in one spot. You know, if you're, if you're going to look for stuff like this, where you're like, Hey, where can I read about some comprehensive stuff about each one of these guys that might get taken without being flooded with stuff that I don't want? This is the place for me to do it. So when this came out, I didn't have to start go searching uh, prospects live and MLB pipeline and all these other different places that I have to go for draft content to find one little nugget about the Royals. Now I get 
everything uh, specifically tailored to the Royals and it's really good stuff. So uh, this is all I basically use now to, uh, to help me figure out who these players are and, and who I would like the Royals to pick. Yes, you will not find a, a group of people who are sort of more tuned in to what the Royals are thinking, what the Royals are doing at the minor league level than Royals Farm Report. And so they put together a team to put this together. I was lucky enough to be on that team. Some of those scouting reports were written by me. Um, and as I said, the wish list on there is from me. So if you get a chance, go to RoyalsFarmReport.com, buy that draft guide. It really helps out. It helps the people who produce this stuff. And we'd really, really appreciate it. Along the same sort of ilk, the draft news ilk, we have Mike and I have big news. We're going to join the folks at Royals Farm Report and Kansas City Sports Network at Kingdom Bar and Grill on July 17th, starting 6 o'clock p.m. for draft night. They're doing a live draft show at Kingdom Bar and Grill. Come out and join us if you would like to. That's what I'm saying. Come out and join us for this live draft show we're doing in collaboration with Royals Farm Report, and they're going to have some other people on there too. It's a Kansas City Sports Network thing. It'll be live on Kansas City Sports Network's YouTube page or YouTube channel as well. So if you can't come join us, watch it live on KCSN's YouTube. It'll be a really fun night. I'm really excited for it. Couldn't be more thrilled to get out there they and partner again. on TV. <laughs> oh, I'm the excited. FCC no, should be on standby. I think I'm going to get a new shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah? I, so, yeah? I think I'm going to get a new shirt. Yeah, I'm going to wear a Orioles Weekly shirt. I'm that dude. I'm going to do it. I got to have a reason to get new stuff. And so I was like, all right, this is a reason. I'll go, I'll go get a new shirt. I'm thinking sure, of doing not? a a new jersey. I want to do like the fountain, the the Nike Connect jersey. Oh. I just don't know whose I want to get yet. So we'll see. Nikki Lopez, it is. Uh, probably not Nikki Lopez. No, no offense to Nikki Lopez. Love Nikki Lopez, but uh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. All right, Matt Ke- Matt Peacock then. <laughs> uh, Matt Peacock gets that 16 cent check royalty <laughs> check for jersey sales. Like who the hell is going on here, mom? <laughs> <laughs> I played for uh, Toronto now. Uh, anyway, let's jump into the baseball news. Uh, not a ton of roster news this week. Uh, not a ton of things happening back and forth on the roster like is often the case. Daniel Lynch was reactivated, and he's going to start tomorrow. So that's Monday, July 11th, when this episode comes out. He'll start the second game of a doubleheader tomorrow against Detroit. Mike, what are you looking for from Daniel Lynch in his return? I just want to see that he's fully healthy from the blister thing. I don't want... For some guys, these blisters can become a recurring problem, and I don't want that to be the case for him. He has some pretty high spin rates. He spins the ball really well. So I'm hoping that we see that he's all healthy from the blister and that he's confident against a lineup in Detroit that's below average, probably. And so go out there and and dominate and show that you can be Daniel Lynch uh, and be healthy. He'll swap places in some ways with John Heasley. He he got placed on the 15-day IL with right shoulder tendonitis today. This is Sunday, July 10th. After an outing yesterday where it was pretty obvious that he was hurt. He came out yesterday in the first inning. His velocity was way down, like three miles per hour under his average velocity for the season on his fastball. Everyone was like, what the hell's happening? He gives up like six runs in an inning and a third. Just getting crushed. Looked hurt the whole time. And so he actually gets put on the 15-day IL today. Not surprising after what we saw yesterday from him. Hopefully he bounced back quickly. Hopefully this isn't a thing that becomes a recurring problem or a long-term thing, but um, we hope the best for him. He's on the 15-day IL right now. The Royals replaced him with like Foster Griffin, and you're sort of typical back-and-forth guys from Omaha and that sort of thing. We'll see how long that lasts. They still have a five-man rotation now with Lynch back in and Heasley leaving, so we'll see if yeah. they just stick with that. The All-Star break's coming up. A lot of guys are going to get some uh, some time off. It'll be kind of interesting to see who they bring on as that 27th man on Monday. 
just to see like, hey, who's it's going to be an arm almost certainly. Will it be Angel Zerpa? Will they go for some more of a bullpen arm type of thing? Um, well, Angel Zerpa is is with the team in in they they say he's with the team in Kansas okay. City and he has a locker in the dugout. So my guess is he's getting the call for the twenty seventh okay. man on a Monday. Uh, in, in other weird news, I guess this isn't roster news yet because it hasn't happened yet, but Whit Merrifield did leave today's game with a toe issue. Um, he had some sort of toe discomfort and was pulled, replaced by uh, Emmanuel Rivera, and then Nicky Lopez went to second and all this sort of stuff. But people were on a little bit of a lineup watch in AAA. Mike Massey was noticeably absent from the AAA lineup today. And then Michael Garcia was also noticeably absent from the double-A lineup. And so it'll be interesting to see Massey's not on the 40-man, I don't think. Garcia is on the 40-man. So it'll be interesting to see if they choose to do something there. If Witt's injury is a long-term thing or if it's just a day-to-day thing, we'll see. Nobody knows on that front at this point. The Royals were able to go three and four this week. They had an entire slate of games uh, against Houston and the... Cleveland Guardians this week. Yeah, that, that one was back here at home. That brings their uh, overall record to 32 and 52, exactly 20 games under 500. It was a really weird week because they had a lead at one point in all four of those Houston games. They go down to Houston against the Astros, one of the ar- inarguably the best teams in baseball, and they look competent. They looked like a competent team throughout most of that series. They had a lead in all four games, and then they only ended up winning one of them. So the bullpen was blowing games and it was just an issue. And and the offense especially looked fantastic in that series against one of the best starting rotations in the game. Uh, Christian Javier, they they did really well against him. And it was like, wait, hang on. How are, how are they doing this? This isn't the Royals. But you, you go, okay, you only win one out of four games, but that might be the series you look the best in all year so far. That's yeah. a little bit yeah. wild to see. So. It was a little disappointing that they didn't get one of those first two games as well. Should have gotten both of those first two games that they end up losing because they scored at least seven, I think, in both of them, maybe six in one of them. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, it was it was rough to see. And then you see one very terrible game in this Cleveland series where John Heasley goes out and is hurt and gives up like six runs and the wheels just fall off by the end of the game. Michael A. Taylor's humming 92 mile an hour fastballs in there <laughs> and and striking guys uh, out. Future like, closer, Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, yeah, future closer, Michael A. Mike, I, somebody put out there, Michael K. Taylor. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, so it was it was a weird week, especially since they you know they win that Guardian series when they look worse probably than what they did in the Houston series where they only got one win. Yeah, what was interesting about this Cleveland series, too, is they come in and Cleveland is second in the AL Central. The AL Central is not a good division. Cleveland was, I think, 500 when they started this series. But the Royals looked like the better team. You take that middle game away, they look like the better team, right? And so, yeah. you know, they, they handedly won the game today. You know, it wasn't even that close. Yeah. Uh, Singer pitched really well in game one. You know, it was just, it was, it was, a, it looked like the Royals controlled the series against Cleveland. It looks like they were really competent against Houston. They only get three wins this week and they lost four. So it was just one of those weird things like this is what unbalanced teams look like, right? You know, like this is what it looks like when you have a volatile bullpen, when you you can never really expect anything specific from the starting rotation. And, 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 you know, it's talent, a talented team, especially offensively, that really lacks the consistency necessary in pitching to – get the type of results that they should be getting with the level of talent that they have. 
Yeah, and Cleveland's coming off us. It may not have been the series before this one, but they got swept in a four-game series by Detroit not that long ago. And so it's not like you can't get this Cleveland team. They're they're not fantastic. Maybe second in the division, but that's not very good for this division. So, yeah, I don't uh, – and you're exactly right. A team that is this unbalanced, that is this unpredictable – where you can go, oh, man, I see a flash from Brady Singer one day and the lineup's hitting and it's looking really good. You go, we can beat anybody. And then you see that game that Heasley started, uh, the, the middle game of the series. And even with, even if you take out the He's, the fact that Heasley was hurt, after Heasley went out, they may have looked worse after that. So <laughs> it was it got worse. After Heasley gave up six runs in an inning and a third, it got worse. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was a mess. It's a messed up game, baseball. It's a messed up game. Well, it's a messed up team when you have a, a team with a bunch of talent that you know can be good, but isn't consistently good because of things like walks or because they have a pitching coach who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So Jackson Kowar comes in after Heasley in that start, pitches two and two thirds, gives up like five runs, I think. Jackson Kowar threw 52% fastballs in his outing. Do you remember when he came back up from AAA? Yeah. He has, he has a, a relief outing where he goes like three innings. And he throws 30% fastballs and like 50% changeups. And Carving looks dominant. Carving people up. Yeah. Looks dominant. Throws some sliders in there too. Like he threw one or two. He thank you to two sliders in the entirety of that outing. He's, 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 he's shelved a slider. Hasn't thrown any of them his last couple outings. In this last outing, he threw two sliders the whole time. And he threw 52% fastballs. That is a recipe for disaster for Jackson Coar. How anyone ever lets him do that mind boggling. I, I don't understand it. You are, yeah. you are touched in the head or, you know, nothing about baseball. If you are, if you are letting Jackson Coar throw 52% fastballs, that is a fireable offense from Cal Eldrick. One of, call it exhibit <laughs> Z, 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 that he needs to be fired because it's yeah. just gross. It's gross. Agreed. And I'll talk more about Coar and his week this uh, coming up here in a second, but it was, uh, it was not easy to see, especially when a kid gets an opportunity to do something like he has a chance to prove something there and just craps the bed let's let's start well on a positive note though let's when we're talking about last week's performances let's start on a positive note we'll start with the strong performances mike who really dominated this week for the royals there's no one more boiling lava hot on the royals right now than andrew benintendi every time the guy comes up he gets on base it feels like he is 10 for 23 this week and that's over a 400 batting average Uh, he had a double he had six walks and a stolen base, which Andrew Benintendi should not be stealing bases, but he had He one. accidentally stole um, If you remember, he had to he do some sort of acrobatic swim move to like avoid the tack. Oh, he was, yeah. I forgot about The that. ball clearly beat him there, <laughs> but he decided to win it. By the way, uh, we should give him his proper due all-star Andrew Benintendi. It was announced today that he, all-star he, is, he will be the Royals all-star for the all-star game coming up in a week. Yeah, and so, yeah, he just... Up in that trade value, he's going to get dealt at some point. And they keep saying to the Yankees, I keep seeing connections to the Yankees, and I'm like, their farm system has nobody. Who are you going to give us? Like, there isn't anybody to to give us. That's, it doesn't make any sense to me anyway. I hope they don't trade him to the Yankees. But, yeah, he's he's been just unreal good doing what he is good at. And that's basically being a singles hitter, getting on base, uh, you know, but he he just does it so well. If he's a guy you bat in the leadoff spot, even for some teams are going to want him there. You love what, what he gives you. So uh, he's been really good this week. I thought we'd uh, point that out. So good job, Benintendi. And there was a little bit of, he was a little offended 
that everybody came in with this Pasquantino's Italian kind of thing, forgetting that Andrew Benintendi is also of Italian heritage and has been here the whole time. And so shout out to my paisano, Andrew Benintendi. That's for you, Benintendi. Loved having you here as Royal. You're going to be gone soon. Thank you for getting your trade value so high before leaving. I really appreciate that. Uh, what's weird is happy we could help you out. Benintendi you know. will, you know, he'll, hopefully he gets a bag this offseason. He should because, you know, that's what he's really looking for. He's going to be a free agent this offseason. And he's not as old as you would think he is. He's 28. He just turned It feels like he's been around forever, so I thought yeah. he was in his 30s. No, he just turned old. 28. He'll get, a, he'll get a nice chunk of change this offseason. But a guy who all Royals fans who remember this it's time period will be like, yeah, I like that he was on the team, you know? Mm-hmm. So my strong performer for the week is Emmanuel Rivera. Uh, there were some people who started writing him off when he sort of went into a slump there for a while, and I feel like he's gotten him right back on board this week. He went 6 for 14, one home run, two walks, two strikeouts, just doing stuff that you should be doing if you're Emmanuel Rivera, you know, taking what the what they're giving you, hitting balls the other way occasionally. You know, he's he's played really well this week, and you'd be wrong to write him off. I don't think he's an everyday player, but you'd be wrong to write him off because I do think he is a major leaguer, and he could prove me wrong there. You're talking about a guy who, in the minor leagues, always took a little while to acclimate to the level that he was at. Because, you know, he's just that that's the type of guy he is. There are some guys who it takes a while. They got to learn how pitchers are going to pitch him at this league at this level and that sort of thing. And so he really bounced back with a strong week this week. I think he'll get a little bit more playing time as a result of it. We'll see as, you know, trades and things open up play, places for new people. But, you know, I'm interested to see what he can be if he gets a little bit of dedicated playing time. They need an answer at third base. I don't know that he's it every single day. But if he is, but, you know, it doesn't hurt anything to give him a chance now and see if he could be. Yeah, he, he always struck me as the kind of guy who was a guy that got everyday playing time on a team that was either tanking or completely rebuilding. You know, like, you know, he's not the future, but you, he won't embarrass you out there. He'll play a solid third base and he will hit a couple home runs. You know, he, he'll always have that or he has the opportunity. I think he has the skill set to have an OPS between 700 and, and 750 kind of all the time. Um, if he, if he can get consistent playing time. So if he's at his best, so I, I, I like Emmanuel Rivera. I will always root for him. He's from Puerto Rico. I love Puerto Rico. I love, he seems to be a solid ball player. And so, yeah, I, I hope he does continues to do well. I hope this next guy you're going to talk about starts doing better or gets back to what he was doing well when he first came back up. Tell us, man. Tell us about Jackson Kowar and the terrible week he had. Uh, so he was five and two thirds innings pitched, eight earned runs, five walks, three home runs given up. We talked about that game where he came in after John Heasley, where that really is an opportunity. You have the opportunity here to kind of be a long man, to be a bridge, to save the bullpen, to go out there and show that you have the stuff to get out major league hitters, the ability to get out major league hitters against a lineup that's not very deep. And he just doesn't do it. He cannot get it done. And part of that is terrible pitch mix. Part of that is he doesn't get coached. Let's just be honest. The guy really doesn't get developed or coached in any way. And so, you know, it's, it's been rough. You know, I hope he stays in the bullpen, I guess. Here's the the thing. I, as knowing what Cal Eldred brings as far as developing pitchers at the major league level, I almost hope he gets sent back down because there isn't any real reason for him to be in major league baseball to continue to do the things he's done so far, you know, down there, he can get more intentional work and make intentional adjustments that I'm not sure he can do up here, but you know, I thought him being in the bullpen was a really good idea and maybe it still can be, 
but that was rough to watch. It was rough to watch, and this is why you have to say, we just don't know what any of these guys can or could be until they get competent coaching in here. We can't know. Like, it, that's a really hard place to be in as an organization it, because like, should, should they, should they give up on Coar trade him or let, let him leave in some way? Should that, you know, like what about Bubich? What about Hernandez? What about all these guys? We just don't know. We cannot know until they get competent coaching. Look at Jake Junis. They thought, well, it's time to get up, give up on him. Goes to San Francisco, turns it around, right? The same thing's going to keep happening. It, it would not surprise me if, there are scouts and other organizations just salivating around these uh, the, this group of starting pitchers right now, knowing that eventually they're going to leave the Royals and they can turn that guy into something. Knowing that like, ooh, maybe we could get them to throw Coar in as like a, a lottery ticket, basically, as like a the, the ba- b- very bottom of a trade package for somebody else, right? You know, what if we could get Coar, Benintendi, and somebody? And we'll turn them into something. Taylor Clark or, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, other teams, scouts must be like, boy, I can't wait those until those guys are available and, and away from the Royals. We're going to turn them into something special. That, that's got to be the case because no, these guys, maybe these guys aren't like, you know, talent wise, they're not Walker Bueller or anything like that, but they have the talent to be successful major leaguers. They're just not being utilized and deployed and maximized the way they could be. I think that is blatantly obvious to everyone except the Royals right now. And here's the thing. Every second he keeps a job is hurting every single one of those guys. Yep. It delays their development. They possibly get into bad habits. They do all these terrible things that, that you're like, well, why do you hang on to him? Because you don't want to hurt his feelings? Like, I don't understand. I think they're all of the mind. Everybody like, well, knows that want... a change has to be made. Like, Everybody. You can't the, roll I... into next year with Cal Eldred as your pitching coach. You want to mm-hmm. shuffle them off to do something else in the organization because you hate firing people for some reason? Okay, whatever. But you cannot keep that guy where he is. It can't be done. Cannot be done. Cannot be done. And what's interesting is uh, I've heard people be, say like, well, they're waiting till the offseason. Great, you're hurting yourself even more. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, why dig the hole even deeper just because you think oh, we don't have an in-house replacement. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care that you don't have an, d- does, does, do the Dodgers have a double a pitching coach? Great. That's your next pitching coach. Is there somebody who's unemployed roughly in the league and has been a pitching coach at some point in their life? I do not care. That person will be better than Cal Eldred. Is there a college pitching coach? Colleges aren't doing baseball right now. It's the summer. The college season's over. Is there a college pitching coach you could throw a bag at and get him to come be your major league pitching coach? He will do better than Cal Eldred. You could find anyone to be better than him. So, And, and you could also hire someone just for the rest of this season, just to see if like, hey, you're the interim pitching coach. Bring up the guy, Dane Johnson, bring him up. You're the interim pitching coach till the end of the year. And then we're going to find somebody for real. Right now, Cal Eldred is actively hurting his pitchers. Get him out of there. It's nuts. I, <laughs> I list this as, as my theme for the week, actually, is is I'm just waiting for stuff that matters. Oh, we got to do Pasquantino. Oh, that's right. We got to do Pasquantino. I'll stop. Uh, this is how worked up you make me, Mike. This is how agitated you make me when you bring up that guy. It drives me nuts. This and the state of Maryland. Oh, Boy, they, get, they going. get me going. Oh, oh it's just can't, white hot rage comes over me. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we do have to bring up our second week performer for the week. And that's Vinny Pasquantino. A lot of hopes coming in, a lot of expectations, really tough for somebody to make that transition. He had a rough week this week. He was four for 26, two walks, four strikeouts, 
looks like maybe he's pressing a little bit at this point. Don't want to say that. Hopefully he gets back to those really good plate appearances, but I am seeing him swing at some pitches that are either outside the strike zone or on the edges and places he shouldn't be swinging early in counts. Un-Pasquantino-like. Very un-Pasquantino-like, yeah. you know? Um, am I worried? I am not worried at all. I think event- this no. is just the the normal transitioning to the major leagues type stuff. I think he will be absolutely fine. I think he will be exactly what we expected him to be. A guy who goes out and hits 280 with 20 to 25 home runs in a season, a whole bunch of doubles. He's going to, and a 350 to 380 on base. I think that's who he's going to be. And I'm still not worried about it, but it was a tough week for him. Still want him to stay in the middle of the lineup too. I think he's going to be completely fine. Back to my white hot rage. Back to the white hot (laughs) rage. Here we go. So my theme for this week was, just waiting for the stuff that matters. To me, we can't really talk about this team, talk about the future, think about who, how things might be different until the stuff that matters actually happens. And the only thing that matters right now is getting a different pitching coach in there. That is it. That's the whole thing, right? The offense looks like it's set and ready to go. They've been a top eight offense for the last, or a top 10 offense for the last three or four weeks. Thanks to Royals Farm Report for putting out that stat the other day. They have been good. They're scoring runs against teams like the Astros and against good pitchers. They look fine. It's the pitching. That's the only thing that's keeping this team from being what it can be and getting on the track towards progressing towards competitive. Now, I will disagree with you slightly because I think a lot of what happens at the tra- in the trade market will be important as well. It'll be important. But yeah, I, but I see what you're saying. It'll be important, but how will it change the future of the team if they, get say, get pitchers? Like, if their pitching doesn't get any better... How will it change? The, like maybe the trade market is 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 important, but they're not going to trade for established major league pitching in the trade dead at the trade deadline. So how's it going to be any different? Cal Eldred's still going to be their coach. Like the, <laughs> how's it going to be any different when he's like, hey, you with a terrible fastball, I'm going to need you to throw it 55 percent of the time. Or you with that great slider, we're scrapping that. You're going to throw this instead. <laughs> we're scrapping the slider. Have you ever thrown a gyro ball? It doesn't matter. You're going to throw it. You'll learn. Uh, it. You'll learn. You'll learn on the job. It's, it's great. It'll be great. Until he's gone, nothing else matters in my mind. And so we're just hanging out. You know, yes, you have to do the trade line deadline. You have to get all you can get for, you know, those guys. And I want them to get a lot of good advanced pitching prospects for, you know, at the trade deadline for the next guy. But until he gets fired, we're kind of just spinning our wheels. Mm-hmm. We are stuck at this point in the progression until he's gone. Agreed. And and then that kind of somewhat plays into my theme for the week. Mine was punching above our weight. So we got into that Astro series and we're now playing a team that's really, really good. And we look like, Hey, we can compete with these teams. But sometimes when you get in those situations and you get, it looks like you can compete. You're like, well, now what do I do? What do I do? What do I do now? Like we're good enough to compete, but don't quite know how to win. You know, uh, it's like chasing, you know, my, my, I a, the dog I used to have used to like to chase squirrels. Every once in a while, she would catch one. Once she caught it, she didn't know what to do with it. She would just hold it there because she couldn't, uh, didn't want to kill it and she didn't want to, didn't know what else to do with it. So she just stood there. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're, you know, playing teams tough. Yes, we can maybe score with you, but we can't put it away because our pitching is not, not in a place. Cause our pitch, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you cannot compete. We got a heavyweight lineup and eight a feather, guys and out a of your bullpen. pitching development system. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we have a heavyweight lineup, uh, but we got a, a, a lineup that can compete at the, in the, in that uh, heavyweight class. If you want to think of it that way. 
I think Chris Bubich had six walks the other day. He did, yeah. And like none of them went around to score, and people were like, "Well, none of them six scored." Six walks. He walked six guys. What does it matter? He walked six guys. The next time he walks six guys, they're all going to score. <laughs> like, come on, man. What does it matter? Dylan Coleman walked two. The first two hitters he faced today, when the Royals had a five nothing lead. Yeah, walked two guys right. to lead off an inning. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> Coar comes in and walks guys after he after they're already down six nothing. It's like I know, I doing? know. Throw strikes if you're doing anything. Even if you're going to throw that fastball a million times, at least put it in the zone. It's really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and helps us build a larger community. When you subscribe, rate, and review, it lets us know that we're doing something right. So subscribe a lot and we'll know that we should keep doing the stuff we're doing. Plus, Mike gets all of his self-esteem from our subscriber numbers. Without him, he's just in a deep, dark pit. I'm a shell of a man. Shell of a man. So go out there and smash that subscribe button just to make him feel better about himself because he's got very little else going on, to be honest with you. It's free for you to subscribe, but it, it takes about half a second, but it does us a world of good. So please go out there and subscribe, follow us on social media, rate and review us wherever you can. Plus, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I just said that. We post a ton of additional analysis on every every single day. Uh, we interact with anybody who's willing to talk to us on Twitter or wherever. So make sure you're connected on all those areas, too. We are joined for this week's Spotlight segment by none other than the esteemed editor-in-chief of Royals Farm Report, Alex Duvall. Alex, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I I can't wait. When the draft is over... What is that going to be in in a week and a half, two weeks from now, we're going to have everybody that was a part of the draft guide on the Royals farm report podcast to do a huge debrief of the 2022 MLB draft. And I cannot wait. Um, We had, it was one of the most fun things I've ever done was assembling that draft guide for Jacob, who then took the draft guide and made it beautiful um, there was so much that went into that. So I am, I am on, I am running on like a content high right now. It has <laughs> just been, it has been a crazy like three weeks trying to get that all done. So I was pumped when it came out. I don't know when this is going to run, but this is, we're talking on July 7th and, or is today the 8th? I don't even know, man. It's the uh, seventh. You can tell seventh. he's deep into, into creating this thing. He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know where he is. It's all just uh, – but he knows the name of like the 78th best prospect in this upcoming MLB draft. You know? I can't can tell you a lot about that guy. 78. Now that you say that, like I was going to try to memorize him, and now I can't. Jacob Melton maybe? Yeah, if I, that's right. I will be shocked. But if I asked you about Jacob Belt, you tell me all about him. It's just up and down. Yeah, yeah. We know about Jacob Belt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as you can tell, Alex has spent the last few months, really. I mean, this is a long process, preparing intently for the upcoming MLB draft. That preparation led to the creation of the Royals Farm Report 2022 MLB Draft Guide, which you can find for sale uh, at royalsfarmreport.com. We'll have a link in the show description and all that as well. It is truly jammed packed with insights. There are detailed reports on the top 100 prospects, a mock draft and like an exclusive, the only mock draft RFR did. And it's a great one. And it covers the top three picks from the Royals. There's also uh, a, Alex and I did like a wish list for uh, for our like dream scenario for the, what the Royals might get with those top three picks. It is really worth every penny. It's like a hundred and what is it, like 117 pages long or yeah. something like that. It's like a 117 page PDF. Yeah, it's really long. <clears throat> Absolutely worth it. Only four dollars. You get 
beyond the value of four dollars it's it's a bargain at three times the price honestly and so I, I highly encourage you to go out there get that draft guide it will give you everything you need to know about the upcoming mlb draft and that's what we're going to talk about with alex today ask him some questions talk a little bit about that the information in that guide and so he can give us some more insight into what he's really been studying for the last few months and myself as well but he knows a lot more about it than i do and so, Mike, get us started. Kick us off. What do you want to ask Alex about this 2022 draft? Well, the, the thing that kind of sparked this for me was I listened to your last uh, Royals Farm Report podcast that came out, I want to say last week, with um, Ken, is it Ken Body? Kent? Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Bodie. Kyle, Kyle Bodie. Yeah. Kyle Bodie. There we go. Um, and you guys, that was, first off, that was fantastic. But you guys talked a lot about development. So that kind of sparked something. Um, the Royals have shown some ability to develop hitters. We've seen that with MJ Melendez, the resurgence of him and Nick Prado's prospect status, and now they're looking to bust in or are already producing in Major League Baseball. They've shown the opposite of that on the pitching side. Okay, How does that affect how they draft coming up here, or how do you think that should affect how they look at this upcoming draft? I don't know how often I've mentioned this publicly because I think it so often that like, you know how like sometimes like that those two things like run together. Like did I actually say that out loud, but I asked Kyle in the, on the podcast, like, is it possible to out scout bad development? And when the Royals drafted Frank Mazzucato, Shane Panzini, Ben Caderna, and they draft all these prep arms, I kind of looked at, and by the way, add that with a 2018 college pitching class. I look at that and go, the Royals, like, I don't know that they actually think this. Like, truly, I, I, I think there's maybe some parts of them. They're, they're I don't want to call them naive, but maybe that they're so naive that they don't really think there's that many flaws in their pitching development that they can just draft all these pitchers and maybe they do acknowledge the problems in development and, like, we're going to out-scout them. We're going to draft and scout so many and so good pitchers that the development won't matter. And to an extent, like I'm not so sure they have been wrong. Like in terms of all five of those kids from the 2018 pitching class from 2018 draft class have made the big leagues. Like that is absurd. And and I think what people maybe don't understand is when you draft a college class like that, typically you pray two or three of them make it. And one of them is good. The Royals got all five of them all the way through. And, and to me, that is excellent scouting. John Heasley went from getting hit around in the Big 12 to pitching in the big leagues and having some and success. Being, and being their most consistent guy at this point. Like, yeah. That, that's like, the wild thing, yeah. I, I, and I look at and Jonathan Bolin was not good in college. I mean, he was, he was a good college arm, but he got like half of a second-round slot value. He was a money saver. He's been excellent, like – Convince me he's not their best pitching prospect if he was healthy. And so I look at it and I think I really, Seth mentioned this on Twitter and it uh, at Platinum Sombrero. And I laughed at him at first. And now I'm kind of with him. Like maybe Lonnie Goldberg's the only person doing his job. Like maybe he's, <laughs> maybe he's the one doing everything correctly, drafting the right pitchers. And it's the front office, the player development that's not meeting him. Right. And so I don't know. I look at the scouting side of it and think, they've drafted pitchers who are clearly talented enough to pitch in the big leagues. Now it's the development's turn to finish them off and make them successful once they get there. Right. So that's, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think they've done a really weird. So to answer your original question, I apologize for the long winded answer. 
That's um, okay. Yes, I think it has affected their draft strategy, but I think they're doing it ass backwards where like it's it still doesn't matter because they can't finish them off, right? They they don't have the ability to make it matter at the big league level. And so I'm kind of of the opinion that they should just start drafting hitters and then trading them for nearly finished products later on. Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for. What, what are you, and, and it doesn't seem like they're very, super consistent with it either. Cause you see one year, a whole bunch of college arms, one year, a whole bunch of prep arms, and you really haven't seen the ability to turn any of that into what you would call either frontline pitching guys or consistent pitching at the major league level. The other thing that I think is kind of interesting with what you said there, it used to be kind of the Royals thing that it was like, we aren't going to let you go out and do your own thing in pitching development when you're not in season here lately. It's kind of been the reverse of that. They've said, Hey, Daniel Lynch, go do your thing that you want to do pitching development wise. We're going to take a group of you guys up here to work with some independent people. Are they now starting to acknowledge that they can't develop pitching? Is that what's happening? And is that a good thing? Because just because they're letting them go and do that stuff doesn't mean that those guys are going to somebody that's going to help in necessarily the way the Royals need them to. Okay, there's there's two pieces to that. Number one, it doesn't matter what they let them do outside of the team when they bring Chris Bubich back and go, yeah, you're not going to throw that slider. Yeah, like, that that's is cute. insane. He works, he works all offseason on it, and yeah, no, we're, scrap it. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, why? Why are we scrapping the slider? You're telling me he, like, beat writers were writing about all the work that he's done on his slider this offseason, and he gets in he gets into camp, and they're like, yeah, no, that's cute, but get rid of it. It's like, whoa, what are we doing? So I think you're right. I think they've clearly made progress in, like, allowing these guys to go seek help elsewhere, but if you bring them back and then tell them to forget about everything they learned, you're not helping them. And so I don't know. I think, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they have made some, some clear progress taking the 2021 prep arms to UNO. So they, or was it university of Nebraska at Lincoln? I can't remember if it was Lincoln Lincoln. or UNO at Lincoln. I think so. And letting them run biomechanical analysis of their deliveries to make sure that the way that they're pitching is safe and going to keep their elbows and shoulders healthy. Bravo. Like, I mean, that's what you should be doing, but credit where it's due, they're finally doing the things that they, they should be doing. Um, I just can't get past like the, the, the Chris Bubich is a microcosm of the, of the example, but how you bring in a guy who's developed a new pitch and then don't let him throw it. Like if I was Chris Bubich, no, screw you. I'm, this is what I'm throwing. And if you don't like it, then trade me and I'll go somewhere else and have success and I'd get on the same page with my catchers, be like, look, this pitch is going to help. This pitch is going to be good. We're not going to not throw it. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not calling Chris Bubich a sissy or anything, but like to just bow down and not throw it. Like you're a professional athlete. At some point, you've got to take ownership in your successes or failures because it affects arbitration as you move down the line. I also think it's important to note that if – if you're a team that has no identity in terms of pitching development, it really doesn't matter what you're letting guys do outside of that as much, and spe- or especially what kind of guys you're taking. So you mentioned the college arms, the prep arms, the college arms in 18, the prep arms in 21. What I note is that not these pitchers don't all have like similar traits. So the, it's not like the Royals are out there looking for particular traits and saying, okay, well, we can develop these other ones. We know we can develop like velocity. So we're looking for guys who can spin or we know we can develop spin. So we're looking for guys who velocity or we know we have, you know, 
these certain we can develop command so we're going to you know look for these other things they don't have any sort of identity that looks like that and so if you don't have that you're kind of just wandering in the darkness you know sort of haphazardly trying to there's no there's no connection between your scouting and your player development it looks like and that's and that was a big theme of your of your conversation with with Kyle Bodie is that there's just not enough of a theme running between that to have like in the way Tampa does or in the way Cleveland does where you see guys drafting and you're like that is a Cleveland pitcher when the, when they scouted him they recognized him as a Cleveland pitcher and then they're going to develop him as a Cleveland pitcher and you're hoping that Sherman can bring something like that in here I do want to sort of transition and talk specifics about this number nine pick that the Royals are going to make here in about ten days it's a huge pick you have you said it yourself. Alex, this is a very important draft for the Kansas City Royals. It's going to either set up their future for success or set it up in a, in a less uh, exciting way. Uh, so I'm going to sort of paint a scenario here for you, ask you two questions about this. At number nine in 10 days, one, who do you think is still available at number nine? And two, who would you want them to take? I don't want you to tell me who you think the Royals are going to take. I want to know who you would take at number nine. So really quick, I just you, you said something I want to go back on really quick. You know how they turn around the hitting development in the minor leagues? Communication. Here is Nick Prado's plan, and I don't care who his hitting coach is. This is the plan we're going to follow, and this is what we need to do. So just we'll make a note of that, and then in the future, if they that they do make changes, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Um, so at number nine, I think when, we, when you break down the draft, people are – I've seen like, ooh, could Cam Collier fall? Could Elijah Green get to him? Could Tamar Johnson fall? What about Brooks Lee? It's like, no. I think the board is going to be super chalky from one through seven. Like, I really don't expect there to be any surprises in terms of, oh my gosh, Baltimore drafted the fourth best college bat. They took Jace Young, number one. I really, and, and I won't give specifics into the mock draft because I please go buy the draft guide. But um, if you, if you read the mock draft, I, I explained the first nine picks. So before Kansas city's first pick, and then from then on, it's just a mock. Um, and, and, and when you follow the, when you, when you, when you, if you read the descriptions for each pick, it's like, I kind of explain, like, I don't buy the underslot games this round. They're, the, the players at the top of the board are so extremely talented that I think there's a clear tier one. And that clear tier one, Drew Jones ain't gonna be there. He's going number one. I would bet I would bet my life savings on Drew Jones going number one right now. Tamar Johnson's going in the top seven. Cam Collier's going in the top seven. Elijah Green, Brooks Lee going in the top seven. So really, I think what you're gonna have is the four college bats w- that everybody knows will be there, or at least one, three of the four will be there, are gonna be your best available. That's Jacob Berry. It's Jace Young, it's Gavin Cross, it's Chase DeLauder. You're going to have one of those four guys available. Zach Neto, a shortstop out of Campbell, I think is kind of like a sneaky Royals type of pick that I probably haven't discussed enough, actually. Um, And so when you look at the college bats, I think it's going to be super chalky. And the Royals are going to have their pick of the litter. Which college bat do you want? Or are you going to neglect the best college bat available to go do like literally anything else? And so when you break it down that way, the player that I would take is Jace Young. I've said that pretty much everywhere I've been. I haven't really wavered from that in a few months or maybe a couple of months. 
But Jace Young is too good. He has traits you can't teach. And I think the Royals could actually learn from what the Cleveland Guardians do when they draft high school pitching is draft the traits you can't teach and then let them grow physically. We'll draft Shane Bieber, who has great spin, great control, and we'll just wait for him to physically mature and turn into a Cy Young candidate. We'll draft Zach Plesak, who threw like 88 when he was drafted, maybe like touching 91. We'll let him grow, and all of a sudden, the teenager is a man, and now he can he can pitch at the big league level. Jace Young, you can't teach power like he's got, and you can't teach an approach like he's got. He is the best approach, the best plate discipline of any college hitter in the draft, in my opinion, in terms of his chase rate, how, how much he swings in general. And then the hit tool, I, I've kind of likened this to um, like Nick Prado a little bit, where Nick Prado, I think his hit tool on pitches he's on is really good. Like Nick Prado, when he swings, if, if he identifies curveball down and out, he's got a really good ability to get his barrel to the pitch. He just sometimes misidentifies pitches or is sitting on the wrong one. And then what we perceive to be a swing and a miss is actually him swinging at a different pitch, right? Like Nick Prado is swinging at a fastball and he got a slider. So I think, I think there's, it's really important and really difficult to separate that. But I think Jace Young, when he gets his pitch, the one he's looking for, the one he's identified, he crushes the ball. He's got a great hit tool. It's that sometimes he gets a little too patient, like Nick Prado, and he gets a little bit too too picky and too aggressive on the wrong pitch. So, like, he doesn't have a Brooks Lee hit tool. It's not a Jacob Berry hit tool, but it's still very good. He is, in my mind, the best, the safest offensive option in the draft class. Like, there's not an offensive hitter I would rather have than Jace Young. I know that defensively he doesn't have a home, but he's a good athlete. Like he's made several plays at second base that the average second baseman doesn't make. He just isn't fundamental to, uh, fundamental enough to make all the routine plays. So stick him out in left field. Let him go be, I'm not comparing him to Manny Ramirez, but you get the point. Just go hide, go sit out in left field. Just try not to screw up too bad and let your athleticism make you good enough out there, right? The Royals have no problem teaching guys how to play the outfield. So go out there, be athletic, and then just hit. Hit a ton because he will. He will hit a ton. And I, here's your sneak peek the for the draft guide. I've mocked him to, the, to Detroit at number 12. And the, the only comment I made was like an asterisk, like massive eye roll emoji. Like he's going to go to Detroit and he's going to be really good. Like this is like, it was kind of like Bobby Witt Jr. in 2019 where it's like, if the Royals don't take this kid, we're going to regret it forever. And I'm just, I am terrified with Jace Young that the Royals are going to pass on him and he's going to be like really, really, really good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think he's going to be like one of the safest guys. The, I think you can go and say, hey, you know, once he gets to the major leagues, he's going to be a guy that's at least, if he only gets to his floor, 750 to 800 OPS. If he gets anything higher than that, you're talking about an all-star caliber guy parentally. Like that's now his setup's a little weird to me because I had never, I hadn't really watched a lot of video for him uh, until today when I got the draft guide and started reading through it. It was like, Oh, let me go take a look at him. The setup's weird. It's weird. <laughs> and uh, so that's a little odd to me to see in the, in the batter's box, but 
But um, man, watching him take a full plate appearance, it's like watching Vinny take a full plate appearance. You feel like he has more control of the zone than the pitcher does. And that's yeah. that's comforting. And as Royals fans, if you need to see what a better approach does for you as far as scoring runs, look at what we've done the last month. When you get guys in there that can really control the zone, you can score runs. Add another bat like that to it. I'm a huge fan of Jace Young as well. And here's the thing about Young. If you place him in left field, you know he's not going to have an arm worse than Andrew Benintendi's. I know the arm is really the thing that's keeping like, people talk about like at second, and it, maybe it'll just be adequate there. You know, that's why they kind of wanted to hide him at second at Texas Tech is he has a pretty weak arm. It's not going to be any worse than Andrew Benintendi's, whose bat is very bad. He is a pretty tall, pretty athletic guy. He'll be fine out there in left field if you teach him how to be an outfielder, I think, and obviously plenty of hand-eye coordination to catch a baseball. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be worried about putting him out in left field. Put him in left field. Let him hit like a monster. You have guys uh, at second base moving forward and Mike Massey and things like that. So, yeah, I'm fine with a a Jace Young pick into left field. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, I will uh, hit you with the next question here, Alex. Um, I was reading the draft guide earlier today. You know, when you're recovering from COVID, you're just laying there. And so I was uh, watching the game and reading the draft guide. So uh, there's a lot of talented arms that are coming off of injury. This is not a very deep class for the college arms, but there's a lot of there's some college arms and a lot of high school arms coming off injury. Dylan Lesko was a guy that really intrigued me. I think some people felt that he was probably the best prep arm coming into this year or before the injury. He was going to be the number one prep arm. Um, talk specifically about what you think about Dylan Lesko and also what do you think about the possibility of taking a guy coming off of Tommy John that you're kind of rolling the dice on from 15 to 30, go for it. Totally. Don't have a problem with it. You, I don't think you can take that gamble at number nine. I don't care how much money you're saving unless Dylan Lesko wants to take like $2 million. Like if he's going to take less than half of his slot value, or something crazy that, that he won't do, like okay, they can't anymore, can they? Yeah, can they still as long that? as okay. So there's uh, there's a whole process players have to go through to qualify for that amendment. He has to submit a pre-draft oh, okay. medical. He's got to accept top 300 status. He's got to go to the combine. There's all these things he has to do. I don't know whether he has done that or not. Let's just I can't imagine gotcha. he did in his position like that. That rule was not made for guys like him. So. Let's pretend he didn't, or just assume he didn't. Unless he's just going to take an absurd signing bonus that he won't take, I don't think you can justify it at number nine, taking a kid coming off of Tommy John surgery. There's just so many things that can go wrong. And I know Tommy John is like 90%. Like, it's really close to not being an issue anymore, kind of like an ACL in football. But if you're the Royals and you take a kid coming off Tommy John, and he and it happens again, or it doesn't progress like you thought, dude. That it, it cannot happen. Like the Royals are not financially sound enough. They're not the Yankees. You can't afford to blow two million dollars on a gamble. Like it can't happen. So I like Lesko as much as anybody. I thought he was one of the best pitching prospects in recent draft history. Like he's really talented. But there's no way you can take that gamble with the ninth overall pick if you're a team like the Royals. Let me let me undercut Mark's next question here. What about at 35? And probably Lesko may not be there at 35, but like I said, there's a few of these guys. Uh, the guy from Alabama, I think. I'm blanking on his mm-hmm. name. Um, there's another high school arm, a couple other high school arms that are coming off Tommy John that have a lot of promise. What about at 35? Is that something that you think would sm- be smart for the Royals? Because you're getting a, a guy that may be a 
top 15 guy if he weren't hurt. For sure. At 35, 100%. And, and, and at 35, the difference is you're not passing up on a Jace Young at that point, right? You're passing up on like Spencer Jones, who I love, by the way. So maybe that's a bad example, but you get my point. Like you're talking about like a bottom of the second tier college hitter, top of a third tier college hitter for a kid who we thought was one of the best pitching prospects in a generation. Like, okay, like at that point, then you can take the gamble, in my opinion. And, and the money is, it makes more sense. Connor Prelip, the kid from Alabama you're talking about. Yep. A lefty who, by the way, has a college track record. Now, not a very long one because he was hurt for most of his college career, but does have a college track record. Okay, like I'm in. I like I That would make a ton of sense if they could get Connor Prelip down to 35. Um, so, yes, later on in the draft, 100%. Reggie Crawford out of UConn. A lefty that was hitting 100 before he had Tommy John? Yeah, absolutely. But I just don't think you can take that gamble at number nine when there are like all-star caliber bats sitting there for the taking. Taking a Tommy, an injured arm would just be reckless in my opinion. Let's talk about that 35 pick because that's uh, last time we talked about the draft, Mike and I said, we're not talking about that 35th overall pick. It's too early in the process. We don't know enough about guys who could be that, that deep. We know a little bit more about those guys. Now, who do you like at 35? Who do you think might still be around? What type of player would you like to see them target there? With the Royals having another pick at 49 and the way that they've done things in the past, I, I think if you're going to try to save money, I think a, the college class is deep enough with like fourth and fifth tier players that at number 35, that's your time to swing for the fences. There are a few prep bats. Um, oh my gosh, I am drawing a massive blank. My brain just went blah because I'm thinking of one guy in particular. Is it Bolte um, that you're thinking of? Because that was the guy that interested yes, me the most. That's the one guy that I'm <laughs> thinking of, but I can't remember now that I'm thinking about him. I can't remember the names of the other guys I was going to bring up. Um, but yes, there are there are a few prep bats and actually a few prep arms. Uh, like Andrew Dukanich has sworn his allegiances to Vanderbilt. He says, I'm out. That pick at 35 is a great time to swing for the fences. Take who you think is the best prep player available with all kinds of upside and a strong college commitment, and then save your money down the road. Um, that is That is how I would approach it because the Royals – love to take big swings on prep bats. And I've seen actually pros uh, no, it wasn't prospects live. Who was it? Somebody mocked Henry bolt to the Royals at number nine again today. Uh, so I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And I would be watching that name uh, in the draft on Sunday. Don't do it at nine. Take the college bat at number nine, take your prep preference at 35. And then like you did with Jonathan Bolin in 2018, Save some money on your second round pick and on your fifth round pick. Don't, there are all kinds of college seniors you can go get who I think will be available that you can sign for pennies on the dollar because what else are you going to just retire? Like, okay. Um, sorry, <laughs> that's how the game works. So I don't know. With 35, my preference would be to swing for the fences. And I actually think there's a, there's a better than good chance. That's what we'll see. Any chance that Eric Brown gets down to 35? No. Damn it. Don't think so. 
What about Peyton Graham? Peyton Graham is a guy who really interests me. I know he's not a prep guy, guy out of Oklahoma. I still think there's a lot of projection in his body. And so I'd be really interested in a guy like him. You need to get the strikeouts under control, but a lot, a lot of potential in there and could play a lot, could play a few different positions anyway. I honestly do not remember where I mocked him at the moment. Um, I don't have a it. lot of places have him somewhere around the high 20s. I think, um, and so he's the guy. Like, if you that he falls to thirty-five, if you asked me which two players are going to go way higher than anybody expected, I think Zach Neto has kind of started to inch his way too close to the top ten to like for me to say if Zach Neto goes top ten, like it wouldn't really shock people anymore. I don't think. I think Peyton Graham is the other kid. If Peyton Graham goes, the Mets have eleven and fourteen. If Peyton Graham goes 14 to the Mets because they take, you name your prep kid that wants a big signing bonus at number 11, would not shock me. I think Peyton Graham's ceiling in this draft, like in terms of where he could go, is like 11. So I don't think he'll be there at 35 because I think the media is lower on Graham than the industry is. And what's interesting to me is like you mentioned the notion of taking a big swing at 35 with a prep kid. If they take someone like Chase DeLauter at nine, I've heard that that would be an underslot opportunity. They could give him a little less money and then take the big swing at 35 on a prep arm who's hurt or any prep arm on some of those prep bats who are really interesting, but want insane amounts of money uh, for a high school kid. Um, So yeah, I think that would be a very interesting sort of tactic there. Noah Schultz is a guy that I didn't, I didn't want to bring up prep pitching because it just like Royals fans have like a tick every time it comes up. <laughs> Don't um, trigger our audience, Alex. They, no they've been hurt before. <laughs> Noah Schultz is a six, nine lefty that will remind people of Randy Johnson a little bit. Like he's not as good, but like, isn't, isn't he? So six, nine lefty that throws 93 with like a funky slider, like strong commitment to Vanderbilt. If you think you can float him down to 35, I would be all in on like a DeLotter pick at number nine to save some money for Schultz because he's he's probably going to go to Vanderbilt. Like he's asking for a lot of money, but I'd give it to him. Like I'd be okay with it. <laughs> Not my money. I'd give it to him. <laughs> I love it. Um, so Mark actually just brought something up that kind of triggers or go- plays well into my next question. Um, the Royals have been able to develop hitters, right? So does it make it maybe possibly okay that they or should be more comfortable with looking at guys that might have a little bit higher strikeout numbers or a little bit more swing and miss that you might want to see at like 35 or even what'd you say? 49, I think is their third pick. Um, would you take a gamble on some of those guys? Cause the game's kind of getting away from those players. The Royals used to be all, all in on those kind of guys. And I specifically had to have a Judd Fabian in mind. Is he the kind of guy that you say, Hey, we think we can teach him a little bit better approach in our hitting development. And we like the upside of his ability to play center or the pop that he has in his bat. Should they be looking for a guy at 49 like that? I'd flip it. I would be looking for the hit tool. You'd guy. go the other way around. Say, Michael hey, Massey. I want the approach. Okay. And that's how, that's where I lean to, but I don't know. Like I, we had Drew Saylor on the podcast preseason and he brought up Michael Massey and in a BP session, Massey was like struggling to get the bat head out front and they were working on getting his barrel to the front of the plate to be able to do more damage. And he asks Drew Saylor, he goes, is it okay if I try to hit home runs? He's like, yes, Mike, it's okay to try to hit home runs. 
And all of a sudden, Michael Massey's like a 25 home run guy. Like I would, I think the Royals specialty at the moment, and I think Peyton Wilson's a good example of this. Peyton Wilson was like this, this toolsy player they take out of Alabama. He's still striking out quite a bit. Like Suley Matias still strikes out too much. Eric Pena has been a disaster. I think where the Royals have been really good is taking guys with the hit tool, teaching them a little approach, and then unlocking the power, right? So off the top of my head, who would a guy like that be available? It'd be like Josh Kasevich. Josh Kasevich is the shortstop in Oregon. Borderline, Nicky Lopez-ish hit tool, great approach. Flashed some power. Like There were scouts who were like, oh, this kid could be a top 20 pick because he's hitting for power, and then it was zapped. Like it just went away. And so I think if you could, if you can gamble on a guy like Kasevich at 35, would you be reaching a little bit? Yeah. Is he going to be there at 49? Maybe not. And if you can unlock his power, I think you've got a kid who's like a top 25 talent in the draft. So that's where I would lean. So I totally understand what you're saying. I would just flip it. I don't know that Fabian is the type of guy that I'd be, I'd be looking into if I were the Royals. Do I trust Drew Saylor with him? Yeah, sure. Go get him. And if if the Royals think that's what they want to do, by all means, let's let's roll with it. Um, but I think what the Royals have been really good at is getting guys like John Rave, Michael Massey, and teaching them to hit for power. Now, the well, well, or like the whataboutism for that is Daryl Collins, who is currently on the development list because they can't teach him how to hit the ball in the air. So that's like a whole other thing. So there are examples of of both, and and maybe the the real answer is sometimes the prospects just don't work out. But I think I'd be looking more at like a Kasevich or like guys who are falling down the board for a lack of power, and then trying to unlock that in them when they get back in the system. I think you got to call Colin somewhat of an outlier as well, a guy who came from the Netherlands who didn't go through the sort of traditional American baseball infrastructure. You know, I think of another guy like Tyler Gentry who fits that mold to a T that you just described. And he looks like he might be something special to, to, to have found in the third round. Anyway, just keeps putting ball after ball out of the park in North in uh, Northwest Arkansas mm-hmm. right now. Really excited about him. Uh, we're running a little long, so we're gonna try and get you out of here, Alex. I know you got a, a, a child to go take care of. Uh, I want to ask you one more question, then we'll wrap it up. Given what we know about the Royals inability to develop pitching, what are the traits if they decide to go out and, and look at some pitching, not at nine maybe, but at 35 or 49, wherever they end up to look at deciding to look for pitching, what are some traits you think they should be looking for in pitchers that maybe they aren't currently looking at in the pitchers they scout now? There's a kid named Cade Obermuller who Obermuller came in in the 90s in our draft board because he's a lefty that throws like 86, 88. But when you when you consider approach angle, like the the uh, the angle at which he throws the baseball and the rise that he gets out of an 86 to 88 mile an hour fastball paired with the way he's able to spin it, not that they need to reach for a guy who we had in the 90s, in the 40s, but take a kid like that and assume, and, and I think this is what like the Dodgers do well, like Bobby Miller is, who Bobby Miller, by the way, is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball now is they understand what they can't teach. Like you cannot teach a kid to, hey, we know you throw here now, but we want to totally change your arm angle now that we've got you. Like I think that's bad practice. I don't think you should be in the business of that. But Cade Obermuller, for example, has elite traits that you can't really teach easily. And you've got to think at some point, this 18-year-old kid's going to get bigger, right? He ain't going to throw 86, 88 for the rest of his life. Now, 
a lot of fans will point to Foster Griffin and go, okay, but, and I would say the Royals defense, they've been a lot better about having guys find velocity recently. Anthony Viniciano was drafted as a 90 to 92 guy, hit a hundred last summer. Now that velocity has wavered a bit, but you get the point. Nate Webb was drafted at 93, 94, touched a hundred last year. Daniel Jonathan Bolin. Very famous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, if there's one thing that I think is actually easy to teach in 2022, it's velocity. So go find guys who don't have it and are being slept on because they throw a little bit slower that you think have projection left. Frank Mazzucato is a great example of this. It's a much more talented and expensive example, but go find guys like that who have elite traits and then let them naturally throw harder as their body progresses. Like the Royals taking Shan Panzini last year is like the opposite of this. This is a big, mature, 19-year-old who throws harder than his peers can handle, and then you get him into professional baseball, and all of a sudden the command and the off-speed issues kind of become like prevalent, right? You can, they're, they're more obvious against professional hitters. So anyway, I would lean more toward the Frank Mazzucatos, the Cade Obermuellers of the world, than like even the Ben Cadernas. So like credit to them, like that's the opposite of the example I'm talking about. Um, but I'd go find guys with elite traits who don't throw very hard and then just let them grow and develop if if you're going to target a prep arm. I think that sounds wonderful. Let's let's uh let's make that the case because I remember uh from who do we call? Get this done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, one of the things I think about as I sort of think about this draft in its entirety is like I can only talk about this draft in reference to the hopeful changes that I, I hope that they make in the off season related to their pitching development. Right. So I can, I can only talk about, cause if not, you're just talking about like, okay, we're going to, we're going to feed a bunch of kids to the meat grinder and they're never going to, they're never going to be anything because they had to go through this pitching development. And it's just, it's not what I want for them. And, and hopefully it's getting better. I don't see the signs that it is. I hope it is. I think it was smarter to draft guys like Mazzucato and Kaderna has looked well, has looked good in, in Columbia and things like that. But you know, it, there's still a long way to go before we can say, oh, this pitching development knows what it's doing. And I really hope that by the time these guys really get into pro ball, the guys who get drafted this year, it looks a lot different in the pitching development in the Royal system because it needs to. I will say, and like I said, I don't know when you're you're airing this, but we recorded on the 5th, so on Tuesday, an episode that's going to air Monday the 11th. Same as ours. Okay, so this will air the same day as ours. I started reading off the ERAs and the FIPS of all of the Royals pitching prospects. And I brought up a point in 2019, the Royals had like maybe eight or nine hitters in their minor league system with a weighted runs created plus over a hundred. So like maybe on four teams, eight or nine hitters that were league average or better. And like two who were hitting well, it was like Brewer Hicklin and Gabe Cancel. That was it. You know what they did at the end of 2019? Change, change their hitting coordinators. Yeah, Scrapped it. <laughs> Scrapped it. <laughs> they went and dug Drew Saylor out of the Dodgers organization and put him in charge. So if I were the Royals, what I'd be looking to do this offseason is go figure out whoever is fourth in charge in Houston and bring them up. Just, hey, you want to be in charge of some pitchers? Come on. You can go from being fourth in the Astro system to first in the Royal system. That's probably what I'd be looking to yeah. do. Alex, we really want to thank you for joining us today. I know we kept you longer than we said we would, but this conversation is just too intriguing and interesting. Um, we do want to pitch RoyalsFarmReport.com. Go buy that draft guide. 
royalsfarmreport.com. I'm going to say it twice just so you remember it. Uh, it looks amazing. It looks incredible. There's great insight in there. Read his stuff at royalsfarmreport.com and also listen to the Royals Farm Report podcast. Really appreciate being on, Alex. Love having you. Marcus, Mike, thanks, guys. The Royals will play four games in three days to open this week at home against Detroit before jetting off for another four-game series in Toronto, where we get to find out who's got their Fauci-ouchie and who doesn't. Weird little thing. you know. Any of the players who are not vaccinated will not be able to play in Toronto. So uh, we'll see about that one. Mike, tell us about the Detroit Tigers, a team I feel like we just played the other day. I guess my question is this. Do managers get to manage if they don't have mm-hmm. the vaccine? Mm-hmm. No? Oh, that'll be interesting to see as well. <laughs> not just not just managers, but coaches, you know, who, yeah. who on the coaching staff does them. Um, if they need somebody so to fill ju- in, I'll go to Canada. I'll go to Canada. Beautiful country, Canada. Um, so Detroit, we just got done playing them, right? They're not very good either, but they've been kind of hot lately. They went on a six-game winning streak. I want you to pause for a second and think, could the Royals ever win six games in a row? I'll bet you they do in the second half. I'll bet you they do in the second half. Yeah, I do. A six game win streak. They seem like the type of team that was like, we're still getting it figured out in the first half of the season. They'll have their lineup in place for the second half. They'll they'll have found a few reliable starting pitchers at that point. Singer will be fine. Granky will give them a few good starts. They'll They'll get a stretch series against a team that just gave up. Yeah, they'll get a stretch. They'll get a stretch where they get hot. It'll happen. Um. So they'll Detroit be completely out of contention. One of four. Yeah. One of four game series against the guardians, which I mentioned earlier, and then won the first two against the white Sox for that six game series in this first game with Detroit and the first of the double header here, we will see Keller versus Michael Pineda. We saw him last week as well. Old grizzled vet, Michael Pineda, 33 years old, 3.62 ERA, really low, good whip at 1.18. He throws a fastball that averages around 90. So he's not bringing heat or anything. He threw a, quite a bit harder when he was younger, but uh, slider who didn't right <laughs> um, slider change up throws his fastball quite a bit and and gets a lot of based on a lot of outs with it based on movement and location and so uh, the Royals were able to get three runs and five innings off of him last time they should be able to hit Michael Pineda but who knows they could get shut out by him I don't know uh, in that second game we'll get to see the return of Daniel Lynch against Alex I'm gonna say Fado could be Fido don't know 26 year old right-handed pitcher out of Florida He's got an ERA slightly over five and a not very good whip at 1.54. He was a first-round pick for them in 2017. He averages a 92-mile-an-hour fastball with a slider and a changeup, but his fastball gets hit a lot, but he still throws it a lot. The, the Jackson Kowar, as we call He it. is the Jackson Kowar <laughs> of the Detroit Tigers. And they both went to Florida. Wild. Hey, shocker. Um, and so, yeah, that that's, looks like another good opportunity there. Um the third game of that series will be Chris Bubich against Bo Brisky, who I think we just saw in that series earlier as well, if I'm not mistaken. He's a right-hander out of Colorado State University Pueblo. 4.16 ERA, 1.22 whip. Uh, fastball changeup slider. Throws a sinker as well. His expected numbers are much higher than the numbers that he has, so he may be due for some regression where those numbers go up a bit. He's got some of the worst expected uh, stats in baseball. So he's due for some Colorado State University there. Pueblo. That uh, baseball hotbed, that the fact, hotbed. the baseball factory talent of talent. <laughs> well, Tar- Tarek Skubal, the next guy, is going to go against Singer in that last game, and he went to baseball powerhouse Seattle University. So I didn't even know there was uh, a thing. A I didn't thing. know I was, I mean, until I've, until I I've d- run into him. I do like him though. Uh, I think he's pitched pretty well this year. Three point nine nine ERA, one point one nine WHIP. 
He's got a fastball that averages 94, a really good slider that he throws a lot, uh, a sinker changeup curveball. We just, I'm sure he pitched against us. I think he did in the last game of that last series we had with them. Um, he throws the slider a lot. He throws it very hard. It's pretty effective. 236 is the average against on that slider. Uh, I'd say right now he's the the guy of their rotation. Um, with Casey Mize out hurt, I think he's probably the best that they have to offer. So um, I think that's a very gettable Detroit series. You got four games. I'd like to see him win at least three. After they face Detroit, they're headed north to the our friendly neighbors to the north in Canada, where they will take on the Detroit Blue Jays. Detroit Blue Not Jays. Detroit. Look at me. Look at me. Where am I today? Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> I swear I'm not. This mug is not filled with anything other than gin. delicious water and gin. And uh, yeah, no, uh, they're going to face the Toronto Blue Jays, who coming into today were 45 and 41. I haven't seen the outcome of their game today. They weren't finished with it earlier, but they were winning, I believe. Um, 45 and 41 is good enough for fourth in the AL East. We are on the brink of having every team in the AL East be 500 or better. Because the Orioles are on like an eight-game winning streak, and they're just two games under 500 right now. It is plausible that within the next week or two, we could have all four, five teams in the AL East over 500 or, or above, 500 or above. So this is what's nuts. This is how 40, 45 and 41 might lead the AL Central. I don't know where the Twins are right now, but they'd be in great shape in the AL Central. They are fourth in the AL East. Toronto's that team. You know them. They're full of young talent. A lot of really good young hitters, especially Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette. Alejandro Kirk, who's an all-star. Vlad Jr. is also an all-star this year. Uh, George Springer's not young. He's like 32, but he's also on the team, and he also kills the baseball. No one in their everyday lineup has an OPS plus under 96, which means no one in their everyday lineup is worse than 4% below league average. That's how good they are, one through nine, on this team as a group of hitters. So our pitching staff better bring it uh, to Toronto you know, I mean, they, first they better be vaccinated, then they better bring it because um, <laughs> if not, we're in big, big trouble. Uh, the pitching staff for Toronto is a little more hit or miss. They have some great pitchers like Alex Manoa and Kevin Gaussman and Ross Stripling is having a real good year. They've done well for him so far, but the rest of the rotation is mm, struggling. And so they're also a little bit injured in their rotation. And so Jose Barrios, especially, I think they thought he was going to be something special for them this year. They went out and signed him or traded for him. I can't remember. But they picked up Barrios, and they thought he was going to be like a number two for them. He's got a five point four four ERA so far this year. He's really struggling. So yeah, hopefully I he was we really good see... in Minnesota. He was. This was this yeah. is going to be a, a down year for him. But let's hope we we run into the guys like Barrios and and the other back end of their rotation guys or the other guys in their rotation who are struggling and not Manoa and Gaussman and, and Stripling because they're the ones who could really do some damage. That's a four game series. So we'll get to see four games up in Toronto before the all-star break happens. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment where we share something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, you are a very, very interesting person. Tell us what is interesting. I'm looking at the thing you put on the on the rundown right now, and I'm like, <laughs> man, you are boring. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it is boring. It seems pretty boring because my life has been pretty boring. All right. Tell I us know. what you're thinking about outside the world of baseball. It's not exactly what it looks like, though. On the rundown here, it says a night in. <laughs> it's like Ooh. doing nothing is my, is my interesting something. No. It's it's this idea though, because the the thing I like best about my house, I don't have a really nice house, people. Uh, this is the house that my wife and I first ever bought, and we don't really plan on ever moving from it. 
it's big enough for us. Why would we want a more room? All that stuff. It is a nice house. Um, but the best house or the best thing about my house is the direction that it faces. Okay. And I highly recommend when you're buying, when you're looking for a house or an apartment or where, whatever dwelling you're looking for, first off, check which way it faces so that in the evening you're in shade or find a place around where you live that is community property that's public or something like that, where you can sit and chill in the evenings in the summer where you're in shade. That's the best thing about my house. The, the back of back, my backyard, I have a deck and a little patio. They are both in the shade in the evening. So last night, my wife and I took our son out there. We, we had this little swing set up for him. He swang while we enjoyed a libation or several libations and I grilled and we ate and I, we spent four hours outside last night and it was the best time I've had in a very long time. So my just a bit outside is enjoy those first off, look for and enjoy those little things about your house that you don't really think about sometimes when you're buying them, because that is by far the best thing I love about my house. I don't like the trees that I have because they may take too much maintenance. I don't, you know, there's a lot of things about my house that aren't great. But that is the top-notch best thing ever. I love being able to just go outside. When I'm done with this, I'm probably just going to go out there and just sit, hang out in the outdoors and in the shade. And not edit a podcast, which is, you know, nice. Yeah, nice. that's that work is left for the minions. I'm the talent. Oh, okay. We let the okay. minions do the editing. Okay, okay. Um, so. Well, that, that that is amazing. I, I've done the exact same thing at Mike's house before because I've stayed with him many, many times. And so I, uh, yeah, love hanging out on your back patio. Very shaded. Going to look for a house myself that is uh, same orientation so I can just chill out on my back patio or deck and enjoy the uh, the evening. I'm going to talk a little bit about this bookstore that I found. It's called Prospero Books here in Kansas City. It's a used bookstore on 39th Street. I went there yesterday with my partner. She surprised me. She was like, I'm taking you somewhere tomorrow, but I'm not going to tell you where. And so I'm like, all right. She's like, put on your favorite clothes. I'm like, are we going somewhere nice? Because you know I hate dressing up. Like, And so I put on my favorite clothes, which was just like shorts and a t-shirt. And she she stopped right outside this bookstore and she's like, here's where we're going. And I was like, yay, because I love bookstores and I love books. And so I went wandering around this used bookstore, Prospero, and it was so awesome. They have like three levels. It's like a three story bookstore filled with used books, all sorts of different kinds of stuff, all sorts of weird stuff. They also have like a little lounge area on the third floor where you can just hang out and read if you want. It, had, it looks like a little coffee shop up there. I didn't see anybody serving or selling coffee, but it looked like they had the capacity to do that. But it was just like your classic bookstore, your classic sort of old used bookstore. There were two really old hippie looking dudes who were just hanging out there. They were the ones who worked there. Maybe they own it. I have no idea. One of them was playing the harmonica. They live there. <laughs> they might live there. I'm surprised there weren't uh, like cats or a dog in there somewhere. Like oh, yeah. they're always, always cats or dogs. And so one dude was just playing the harmonica while the other dude like unloaded inventory or something. I don't know. Did a little uh, ham bone. No, no, that would have been, that would have been cool. Uh, no, but I, I got three uh, little short fantasy novels there that I, I'm really excited to read. They had a whole bunch of cool history stuff. My partner found this dope uh, Cuban cooking cookbook thing. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, Prospero books, just one of the many great bookstores we have here in Kansas city. Give it a shot. A lot of fun to just sort of hang out there, look at the different titles they have, read some, buy a book or two. I highly, highly recommend it. 
hang out, hang out with the hippies, hang out and play some harmonica tunes with this dude or whatever, <laughs> you know, all good stuff. Another reminder, come join us at kingdom bar and grill on Sunday, July 17th, starting at 6 PM. We're going to be doing a live draft show there with the Kansas city sports network folks. We're going to, you know, have fun or tune in on their YouTube channel, Kansas city sports network, YouTube channel for the draft coverage. We're going to be talking about the draft. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for Alex Duvall for joining us for our interview segment. Let's hopefully get some Royals wins this week and we'll be back to you next week. Until then, be good to each other and go Royals. Royals.